The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. The scripture reading today is from Galatians 2, 11 through 21. It's printed on page 6 in the bulletin. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I've proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This ends the reading of God's word. Thank you, Joyce. Well, we are uh, continuing on in our series here in Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. We've been at it for just over a month now. This is the fifth message in the series. And just in case you uh, heard that reading from Joyce just now, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, that sounds awful familiar to me. Haven't I heard that recently? Um, there's good reason for that. This is the same passage that was read last Sunday. We've returned to, this, to the same passage. And not only that, but um, if you're looking at your sermon page, you're looking at the top, you might be thinking, isn't that the same sermon title too? It's the same sermon title as well, except it's part two. This is the heart of the gospel part two. And um, as for my outline this morning, guess what? I've got the same exact outline for us this week as I had last week. And it's not because um, I I was being lazy this week, or at least I hope that that's not the reason why. Um, And it's not because uh, I'm uh, attempting to be unnecessarily redundant or something along those lines. No, it comes down to the fact that this is is such an important passage. Um, Man... And do I feel it this morning? I just, I feel the weight of it. Uh, this is, it, it, I mean, it's all important, right? Um, but I just, I feel that there is, there's something of great significance and import that is here for us. And so um, I believe that, that we need to come back through it 
one more time in precisely the same way that we did last week, except that this time we need to see this and hear this through our own eyes and ears, okay? Like we, we need to see how this lands in our lives, in our own experience, um, which we didn't, we, we did a bit of this last week, but um, uh, but I, what I'm saying here, I would argue that this is always the case, that we always need this, to have this personal encounter with God's word. Um, it's, it's necessary, and here's why. It's because this, this isn't Paul's message, right? Isn't this what we've been talking about? This isn't Paul's message. This is what Paul has been boldly and emphatically telling us just from like the word go in this letter. Uh, saying, this message, it doesn't have human origins, everybody. This gospel that I brought to you, that I'm bringing back to you one more time, Galatians, it's not mine. I couldn't make this stuff up. I didn't invent this. I'm not propping this message up. I'm not, like, animating it somehow as though it needs that from me. It isn't dependent upon me in any way because it's from him. It's from God himself. It possesses its own inherent power apart from me, Paul's telling us. It's an alien message. It's come down to meet us from heaven. It's divine. It's eternal. And it's for everyone. It's for everybody, regardless of race, nation, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your political status, regardless of your age, how old you are, how young you are, regardless of what age you come from, what era, what time, what place you find yourself in, it's for all people. It's for all time. And its ultimate meaning, purpose, motivation, goal is good. It's good news. So what the gospel means, it means good news delivered to you, good tidings, good message for all people, for all times. And last week, we, we took a, a long, hard look at how this message of justification by faith, do you remember this? How, like the context of it, like how it landed in that time and in that place, how it was delivered to the churches of Galatia, how it applied there to them. And so that's where we weighed out last week, generally speaking. But for this morning, what we want to do is take all of that, gather up all that we had from last week. And by the way, if you didn't hear that mess message last week, I would encourage you to go back just to, to get that, that baseline context. Um, but we want to take carry that over with us into this morning and simply ask the question, Okay, now, how does this apply to us now, here, in our time, in our place? And spoiler alert on this, I, 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 I think that you will be surprised this morning, if you can hear it, by just how relevant it is, how it carries over so perfectly. And in addition to that, I think you'll be surprised that the ways in which that you find it to be relevant, the ways that it carries over, is are not all that different from the ways that it was relevant to Paul and to Peter. It hasn't changed with the, the power, the message, what it does, what Jesus is accomplishing. It hasn't changed. 
And if I'm right about this, if, if you draw similar conclusions to the ones that I'm drawing, I pray that you would be deeply ministered to, deeply encouraged this morning. Because again, this is good news, such good news. So that's where we're headed. Now, here's that recycled uh, outline for you, in case you forgot it. I bet you did. Coming back around. First, we will consider the matter at hand, all right? We saw this unique situation here as it related to Peter last week. How might it relate to us? What's the matter at hand with us, you might say? The second thing we're going to consider is the heart of the matter. And the question here is, what's happening beneath our situation, beneath our struggles, beneath our striving? That'll make more sense as we, as we get into it. And then last thing, the heart of the gospel. How does the gospel meet us? and apply to us all the way down to the bottom, to the heart of the matter as it relates to us. So one more time, the matter at hand, the heart of the matter, and then the heart of the gospel. So to begin with, the matter at hand, as it relates to us. And in order for us to find our way in here, I, we inevitably need to go back to the context, at least momentarily. We need to come back. So what was the original matter at hand? Uh, this will be a, a bit of review, maybe. And I would point to Paul's main expressed concerns that we find in this passage. Um, and I would say that ultimately, Paul has just one. He's, just, he's got just one main ultimate concern, which is the preservation of the gospel of grace. The preservation of the gospel of grace. And I... I um, you could also, you could say the, the preservation of this core teaching that we've been talking about, justification by faith. And we will spend the majority of our time this morning just simply trying to get inside of this little phrase, actually, justification by faith. What does it mean? But to locate this, Paul's expression about this one ultimate concern, it can be traced back to two conflicting scenarios that he breaks out here. The first one is this group. You remember them? The, uh, who, the group that he refers to as the circumcision party, who he previously referred to as, as false brothers earlier in chapter 2 here, uh, because they were, why? They were, they were peddling a false gospel, that's why. Peddling a fa false gospel. They were suggesting that in order for non-Jewish folks to become true followers of Jesus, they would need to observe certain specific aspects of, of Jewish law. For instance, they insisted that in, in addition to receiving the gospel of grace, that, that certain non-Jewish men would need to receive circumcision as well. And then the other conflicting scenario, so that was one, here's the other one. The other conflicting scenario that comes up is, is that um, it's directly tied to the first one, which is the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter's response to this same group of people, because Peter, who's referred to here as Cephas, rather than taking careful measures to do what Paul's doing to likewise preserve the gospel of grace, he instead gets tangled up in this mess that these group of individuals are peddling. Right? In fact, Paul is bringing up if you're, we're wondering, like, yeah, why, why is he going into this thing about, about Peter? Why is he talking to the Galatians about Peter? He's bringing up this example of Peter here as a teaching point for the Galatians because in their own way, they've gotten tangled up in this false message as well. 
It applies to them, like Peter's story applies to them. And so, you know, this tale about Peter here, it's meant to be something of a, a cautionary tale for them. And so if you boil this cautionary tale down, what can we learn as it relates to us? Let me just put this a little bit differently. Peter is, he's acting hypocritically here. That's what it says. It's what Paul tells us. He's, what does that mean? He's acting, right? He's playing a part. He's not being true to who he actually is, to what he actually believes. And he's doing so in such a way that he's actively denying the gospel of grace and misleading others in the process. And so to get to the matter at hand, the question that we need to ask is, what's motivating him to do this that might also relate to us? He's, what is he doing? He's denying something that he clearly believes that has been deeply effective in his life. He's devoted himself to this. He's an apostle. Why would he do this? And I think that we can point to two motivations, I'm going to call them. Two motivations that we see here. Strong impulses. And they're not unique to Peter. They're universal. These carry over. They're universal and they're universally pervasive. They can sum up most of what we see happening in the world. And I would classify them as pride on the one hand and fear on the other. And if you understand these two impulses, they're, they're really just two sides of, of one coin. They, they seem very different from one another, but they're actually not all that different from one another. They go hand in hand. So what do I mean by this? So we'll take pride, for, for instance. Pride. Um, where is it? What is it? And look no further than this party of the circumcision, if you, if you want to get a glimpse of it. What's motivating them? Well, pride is. They're, they're, they're coming into the churches of Galatia, and in a sense, they're, they're saying, hey, everybody, listen up. Here's what you need to do, right? Experts. And the reason you should, you should listen to us is because we come with authority. You don't quite understand these things. We get that. But we do. We have the history. We have the heritage. We have the pedigree, okay? We have the pedigree. You understand what this, mean, this word means, pedigree? I think there's some dog food named pedigree, but it's more than that, right? It means, it means like upper class, like privileged, a privileged background of some kind, a cut above. And these folks, they prided themselves in these things, in their pedigree. Now, bringing this back home to us, okay? How, have you, here's a question. Have you come across this kind of a thing? For instance, do you know people who act or talk in these sorts of ways? And if so, do you ever feel, when, you, when you're in their presence, do you ever feel this kind of, this pull, this, this kind of sway at times to somehow align yourself with them, to, to be in their good graces, to, to acquire their, their good opinion of you, to earn their reception, their approval of you somehow? For instance, to those of you who were at our uh, youth collective on Friday, I, sp I spoke to you guys about this a little bit. I said that this, this morning's message might be relevant to you in some way. And this is a good place to start right here, okay? Um, 
uh, for instance, at school maybe, or on whatever teams or whatever clubs that you might be a part of, or maybe, I don't know, like maybe at our youth collective. I'm not sure. Um, and my lingo is not so good. I'm just going to admit that. My, my lingo is maybe not totally up to date. But in these settings, question, like who are the cool kids? Who are the, who are the, who are the influencers, right? Who is it that creates the atmosphere? Who, who would, so many words, say things like, hey, everybody, listen up. This is the way it is. This is, you know, check it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a sense of how things should go. Now, if you are tracking with me on this, and by the way, I'm talking to the tweens and I'm talking to the teens about this, but um, teens and tweens, I just want you to know that the, the adults, they understand this. You know, the shape of these kinds of things, they change with time and with age. But here's the thing. These things, they never actually go away. Unfortunately, I wish they did. Um, and we're always tempted, all of us, we're always tempted in some form or fashion to respond in these kinds of situations in one of two ways, with either pride or with fear, or worse yet, both, okay? Perhaps we respond with our, our own form of pride. Maybe we say something like, when, when you come into contact with these folks, maybe you say something like, man, what a bunch of idiots. I'm like so totally above that. <laughs> Again, I, you know, I'm a bit outdated. That was my uh, that was my best Valley Girl impression right there. Some of you know what I was trying to do there. Like, gag me with a spoon, seriously. <laughs> but can you relate? But back to Peter. Okay, I think that Peter was probably motivated here by both. Poor guy, by both fear and pride. And if you know anything about Peter, this is Peter's MO. Like, this is where Peter lives so much of the time. One moment he's confidently promising the world, Lord, if, even if everybody leaves you, I'll never leave you. I'll die before I would ever forsake you, right? And then just a little while later, what is he doing? He, he's succumbing to fear. He's succumbing to fear, boldly denying Jesus. Just like moments later, fear and pride, this pendulum swing. And I think that both are at play here. On the pride side of things, you could think of this like, um, just like, like those of the, the circumcision party, Peter, well, he, he, was all, he, he was identifying with them. He was also a Jew. He had their pedigree, right? He had the club card. You know, he, he, he could wave the same flag. He could claim the same privilege. He could claim the same position as these guys. And so if someone comes swaggering into the room like these guys are, and they start drawing a dividing line, like, hey, you know, some people eat over here, some people eat over there. Like, you know, where, where's Peter going to go? On the pride side of things, which direction is he going to swing? Well, he's going to align himself with, with these folks over here, if, the, if he's going to succumb to that. And in this case, he did. He, he aligned himself with on the side of pedigree. These are my peeps. This is my history. We have the same lingo. We have the same stories, same privilege, same position. This is, this is where I've got to land. I mean, I've got to land over here. Do you see this? Like he didn't, for, from a pride side, he didn't go to, to, to sit with the Gentiles. That wouldn't make any sense. But much more obvious and clearly stated for us here, we see that Peter was motivated by fear. 
in this situation. We're told that he feared these people. He was intoxicated with fear. And it led him into hypocrisy. And ultimately, it led him to deny the reality that Jesus had graciously brought him into, that had changed everything. He was suddenly out of tune. He was suddenly out of harmony with the gospel of grace. Now, fear and pride. Fear and pride. That is the matter at hand with Peter. And we understand this because at bottom, we're not all that different from Peter. We're, we're, we're moving now from the matter at hand to the heart of the matter. This is not an ancient problem, you understand? This is it's a universal problem. Anyone can understand it. It's a pervasive problem. If you've got an eye for it, you see it everywhere you go. However, what's underneath it? What's underneath these two core motivations that we're talking about? What's at the heart of the matter? And I'm not sure how to put this really other than to say that these two core, core motivations of pride and fear at bottom are both driven by the very same nagging idea, the same core belief, same driving conviction. And it sounds something like this. I'm going to try to put this to words. It sounds like this. See if you can identify with, with this. I must justify myself. Somehow. And notice, I'm, use, I'm stealing a word from Paul here. I'm, I'm, I'm stealing his justification language that he really breaks out in the latter part of this passage. I must justify myself. Somehow I must prove myself. I have to find a way to demonstrate, to realize, to materialize my own value, my own worth. Where does this come from? We all have this in common. Why? You say, not me. <laughs> I don't operate that way, Doug. I'm not built like that. No? Are you sure? And again, I'm not just talking to the tweens in the teens here. I'm talking to everybody. And you can, what, what I'm talking about here, you can slice this up a hundred different ways. I could spend an hour just slicing this up for you. Pick your poison. We do this in every way. We do this religiously, for instance. We, we, we click into gear. We get, sometimes, we, you know, we get devoted. Maybe we faithfully, we, we get our boxes set up like bang, bang, bang. We, we have a great week. We check these boxes off. Bing, bang. Hey, how about it? I'm the real thing this week. I'm on my game, Jesus. You see me? Next week, maybe we begin to fall off in our commitment. Lots of unchecked boxes, or worse yet, maybe we just totally blow it. We just fall into some old, habitual mess, sin, again. And we, what, how do we, we feel like a fake. We feel like a failure, feel like a hypocrite. We fear we're no good. Ah, I knew it. Here I am. I'm back again. And so what do we do in that situation? What do we do? Often we do one of two things. We either double down. We, get, we roll our I got my sleeves rolled up. We roll our sleeves up. We maybe create a few more extra boxes. You know, like, all right. You know, I, I move backwards. I'm moving. I'm getting further down the road this week. Really big, bold check marks. 
Or in the face of our failure, we say, I'm just no good. I don't know, I don't know why I even try, you know? Like, I, I can't justify this anymore. Something just isn't right with me. I stink at this stuff. I stink at being a Christian. Why do I bother? And here's the tricky thing. Some of you may be thinking that everything I'm talking about here doesn't apply to you because you, you in your own estimation, you're not a religious person, you might say. Yes, yeah, you know, it's not my thing. I'm not a person of faith, not me. It doesn't apply here. No? Are you sure? Here's the problem with that. This nagging impulse that I'm talking about, it doesn't, it doesn't distinguish between the religious and the, the irreligious, okay? It will dog all y'all. We've just, we've got this bug. For you, it may not be religious practices and devotions. For you, it may be achievement, okay? How about this? I'm going to come back to the kids on this a little bit, and to some degree. Although this could apply to anyone. I'm a student right now, by the way. But if you're a student, for instance, if you feel super compelled to do really good work, which is great, by the way, but pay attention. Like, what's going on down down beneath the surface of everything, okay? So here's here's an example. So let's say you're you're a, you're hardworking student, you got all A's all the time. Why is it? Why is it when you get that B or you get that C, it's just, man, you just can't let it go. It's just like all of the A's grew wings and flew away. And all you can see is just that B or that C. What's up with that? Why does it? Why? Why do you beat yourself up? Or, here's a different scenario. If you're trying really hard, this maybe characterizes me as a kid. If you're, if you're trying really hard, but you're always just a C student, you know what I mean? Like you just, you just don't get those A's. Why do you resent those A students so much? You're trying, you're doing your best. Why do you come up with reasons in your head for why they do better than you? You know, like stupid brainiacs. She got anything better to do than just sit at home and just study all the time, get a life. Why, why do you have to play that game in your head? Or, check this out, kids. You're going to like this. You ready? You know, maybe you're that C student and then you get that A. You get that A test. You get that A paper and you say, I'm him. <laughs> I'm her. This is me like trying to demonstrate that I've got some, some current lingo going right here. No cap. Anybody? These impulses, they're always ready to praise you or accuse you. They're always ready to praise you or accuse you, to fuel that pride or to fill you with the despair of fear and failure. And at bottom, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? We're attempting to justify ourselves. Do you see? Around every corner, to justify our own existence, to justify our actions, to justify our, our choices. 
Why, you know, when you eat that big bowl of ice cream late at night after everybody's asleep at night, it always comes back to ice cream with me, okay? <laughs> when you eat that big bowl of ice cream late at night, why do you have to come up with a good reason for yourself to do it? Why do you have to tell yourself a story? Why do you have to say, you know, I had a hard day today. It's been tough, you know? Or it's Friday night, you know, I worked really hard this week. So yeah, I'm having a bowl of ice cream. Who are you talking to? <laughs> What's up with that? People, relationships. Why are we so desperate to be seen and appreciated? Why do we light up when we, we receive validations for good work? And why do we wither when we don't get those validations that we're expecting? Why? Why do criticisms, when somebody criticizes you, why does it cut so deep? Why does it linger so long? Why can you not let it go? Why do we long for someone to see us as beautiful or as valuable or as worthy of their time and their attention and their affection? Why do we argue? Why do we argue with one another? Why do you have to win the conversation? Why do you go to bed bitter when you don't? Why do you hold the grudge? Why do you cut people down? Why do you feel threatened by people who hold to different opinions and positions than you do? Why do you look down on them? People you don't even know, maybe. Why are we so helplessly wired in these ways, swinging back and forth between pride and fear, up one moment, down the other. What is beneath all of these things? What is going on here? And I would say that Paul knows this is the heart of what he's getting at here. He is pressing on all of these same nerves that I'm like attempting to touch on this morning. This brings us into our last point, the heart of the gospel. We consider the matter at hand, the heart of the matter, now the heart of the gospel. Paul here, why is he sharing this story about Peter? And I've already said it. it's because he knows, he knows that the Galatians are in the same boat as Peter. He's telling them their story, right? They've essentially done the very same thing. They've been blinded by fear. They've been duped. They've been hoodwinked. They have been taken by the air of the impressiveness and the authority of these people. And in the process, they've just completely lost sight of the gospel of grace. And what I believe Paul is trying to tell us here is that it is all of this stuff that I'm talking about. It is just one big cosmic clue that should be like knocking us over the head. All of our desperate justifying tactics and games our pride, our fear, back and forth. It's all one long cosmic breadcrumb tail, breadcrumb trail meant to lead us to this ultimate conclusion that like, we just don't have it. Like what we're bringing, it's not enough. We need a justification that far exceeds what we've got. Like on our best day, the best thing that we bring, best pedigree that you could muster, 
best performance that you could bring about isn't enough is what Paul's trying to get at. And he's, and he's just like, guys, you had it. You had exactly what you needed. What, you lost it. Where are you going? He uses the word justification at least four times here in the conclusion of this passage. Look at how he puts this in verse 15 here. He says, we know that a person, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one, no one, and remember who Paul is. He just told us in the last chapter, he's just like, guys, man, I was bringing such a big game. Like, my pedigree was off the charts. My performance was incredible. No one, he says, no one will be justified this way. What, is, what are we talking about when we're talking about justification by faith, by the way? This is the thing that we haven't really talked about too much, right? What does the word justification mean? It's, it's, it's a legal term, right? It's, it's used in a courtroom, except we use it in all kinds of ways. We, we use words like just, justify, justice, justification. It's, it's this legal term, and it speaks of acquitting someone of their crimes. You're free to go. You're clear. But this justification is different. It's actually more than that. The justification of Jesus is freely given to us. We haven't contributed to it in any way. Jesus has brought the, the, the most majestic, ancient, perfect, pure pedigree and performance. And he's freely given it to us. And it doesn't just acquit us of our guilt. It doesn't just acquit us of our, our, our sin. It declares something about us. It says, not only am I wiping your slate clean so that you don't have these hang-ups, so that you're not up at night just like mumbling to yourself about like how lousy of a preacher you are, but that I, I'm, I am declaring you righteous. All of my goodness, just the whole thing, boom, it's yours, freely given. What does justification do for us? How does it help us in this process? I just can't help but thinking about Peter. I mean, just kind of like think about the situation with Peter. This guy, he epically failed Jesus. He denied him three times. He, he was like, I give up. I'm done. And Jesus pursued him called him, made him breakfast. In, in, in the sight of others, he reinstated him. He restored him. He said, feed my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. You're my guy. I know you've screwed up, but I'm restoring you and I'm sending you out. You're, you're in a position of prominence now. Go. And here he is. Back again. What, I mean, tell me something. What feels worse than hypocrisy? When you, you kind of wake up and you realize, 
I'm an imposter. I'm a fake. I'm, I'm, I'm working so hard to try to fool people, I'm fooling myself. I'm pathetic. I'm not who I say I am. I'm wearing a mask. I'm putting on a play. I'm, I'm doing a skit. This is Peter. What is he to do? What is Peter to do now? It's just like, I epically screwed up over here. Back again. I would just crawl in the deepest, darkest hole I could find. I, I don't think that this is what Peter did. We're not told explicitly what he did, but I can tell you, I think, with great confidence what Peter did. Because we know that he went on. He went on to lead the church. He went on to write these letters that were inspired by the Spirit of God. What did he do? He did the only thing that he could do. He returned. He came back to this same message. It's the only place to go. Do you feel like an imposter? Do you ever feel like just throwing in the towel? I tell you what, I, that thought crossed my mind about five times on the way to church this morning. I'm just being honest with you. I just felt the weight of this message that I had to share, and I'm just like, I'm an imposter. I, I, I don't have what it takes. This is unjustified for me to get up and share this incredible message with these people. God, pick somebody else. I'm done. I'm out. <clears throat> I'm being honest. Where do we go? This is the only place to go. This is the best news. It'll pick you up. Here I am. I'm, I can feel the joy of this message as I'm preaching it to you right now. Because it's true. It cuts through all of the games. Can I be crude for a moment? Can you guys handle that? It cuts through all the crap. All the pride. All the fear. These crippling games that we play with one another. The ways that we condemn ourselves. It cuts through all of that. It says, you're free. It's on my back. It's done. It's done. Justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You're not in that sentence. You can't undo that sentence. You can't break that sentence. I know I'm going long here. I just want to say uh, just one last thing. I was at um, the Converge Conference yesterday in Hudson, Massachusetts. And um, this fantastic African-American gentleman, preacher, has been preaching since he was 15 years old. He's 65 now. He's been preaching for 50 years. He got up and he preached on forgiveness and justification by faith. And he just kept pounding it, just pounding the table, saying, it doesn't matter how recently, it doesn't matter how frequently, you're forgiven. And it just sounds scandalous. It's just like, you can't say that. Oh, yes, I can. That's what this, this gospel provides. It doesn't, doesn't matter how frequently, it doesn't matter how recently, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, I, 
I pray that you would, um, by your spirit, that you would do um, a divine work here. Pray that anything that I might have said this morning that ought to be discarded, I pray that you would sovereignly discard it in all that accurately represents what's here, what you bring to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that it would powerfully find its way into all the nooks and crannies of our heart and mind, that it would reason with us, that it would talk us off the ledge, that it would tell us a story that's better than the story that we're always telling ourselves, that it would speak much louder than all of the condemning, criticizing voices that we bring to ourselves. And I pray that as it does so, that it would have a powerful, transformative work in each of us, that it would deliver to us nothing less than the very joy of Jesus, that we would be overcome with the love of Christ, and that that, that freedom, that unbreakable reality of the gospel, that would be the thing that would reform us. That would be the thing that would cause us to live and act in ways that are just and right. Not as a way to impress you, but as a way to say, oh, thank you. And we do thank you. In his name we pray. Amen.